Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So does anybody have a favorite opera? You have a favorite? What's your favorite opera? Carmen is my favorite opera. Now, in the last seven years, Vicky has had an opera lesson. I've been singing opera most of my adult life. But in Carmen, the composer Bizet, from the overture all the way until the very last scene, puts in what we call a leitmotif. It's a hint. It's a foreshadowing of what's going to come later. And it sounds like this. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. And even before the most beautiful love song in this opera, sung by Don Jose, the handsome soldier, the tenor, before he sings this beautiful love song, Bizet puts in the introduction that theme. Now, for those of you that have seen the opera, Carmen, or for those of you who know anything about opera, what's guaranteed to happen at the end? Somebody's going to die. And if your name is the name in the opera, Aida, Carmen, you pick, <laughs> chances are it's going to be you. Well, both Carmen and Don Jose die in the opera. And the music, every time they get together, reminds us that something is coming. So, just for fun, Don Jose, the handsome soldier, lets Carmen, the gypsy, escape. And just before she escapes, she throws him a rose. He gets arrested and put in jail for letting the gypsy escape. And all he has for the time in jail is the rose. And he sings this wonderful aria. La fleur que tu m'avais jetée, dans ma prison m'était restée. Flétrie sèche cette fleur, gardée toujours sa douce odeur. All he has is to sniff the rose. And you're thinking, okay, maybe this opera will turn out oh, all right. And there are moments all the way through where you think, oh, maybe they won't die. Well, Matthew wrote this gospel. And when we read the gospels, we often think that they're happening, they're writing it as they're happening. Vicki and I had to go to a meeting last night and the recording secretary was sitting there and she was writing down things as they happened. Scholars tell us that Matthew wrote his gospel perhaps 30 to 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Matthew knows something when he's writing that we who are reading have to suspend our understanding. We're supposed to let it reveal like it's happening now. But what does Matthew know? He knows that perhaps of all the disciples, the one who will need forgiveness the most is the one asking the question about forgiveness. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied him once. And then he denied him twice. And then the third time we're told that he cursed and denied him. Peter was the disciple who would perhaps most need forgiveness, and yet 
He's the one asking the question about being forgiven. So Jesus tells a parable. I love the fact that Jesus taught with stories because, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of a good story, but there's some pieces in here that we need to look at with our first century brain to truly understand the story. How much is a talent? I don't know if you know this, but in the parable of the talents, that's not this one, where the king gives one man ten and one man five and one man... That's where we get the word talent for singing or writing or sports. It came from that, that God gives you a talent. It's sort of morphed into our word. But how much is a talent? It would take your average person 20 years to earn one talent. Now, if you want to use your American brain, the average American, the average salary across the country is about $54,000 a year. So let's round that down to 50. 20 times 50, a million dollars would be one talent. That's in today's money. Back then, a 10,000 talents would be between 9 million and $10 million. Who, who could pay that back? Nobody could pay that back. And that's the point that Jesus is making. It was a debt that was so large you couldn't pay it back. The other thing that Jesus wants us to know is that he had, the servant had slowly been borrowing this money from the king. It's not like he went to the king one day and said, I want to buy a yacht, may I have 10,000 talents. He had been slowly building up this debt. There's a wonderful book called The Dirty Half Dozen of a Happy Marriage. It's not a dirty book. But there's a wonderful chapter in there called Little Things Will Kill You. Now, I'm sure you've seen the book Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. This guy says ignore that if you want a happy marriage. And he has a whole page where he says leaving the toilet seat up will get you killed. Not loading the dishwasher, not unloading the dishwasher, throwing your clothes at the hamper and never getting it in. Okay, the first time it's okay. And the second time, the hundredth time, the thousandth time, if you've been married to somebody for 40 years, how many times have they left the seat up? And you go in and you're like, oh! And that rage, that debt, it didn't just happen once. It has been growing over time. That's the debt that Jesus wants us to understand. Now, he's, he's making the talent equivalent to our sin. We sin, I'm sorry to say, every day. And if you don't sin every day, then you're lying and that's your sin for the day. It grows. It grows and grows and grows. Like all of those things in the book. Right? Those little things get bigger and bigger and bigger until there is such a debt, you can't pay it back. And what does the king do? He forgives the debt. Now, for Peter, and, and I, I hope you've, you've heard me say this in the last several weeks while we've been looking at Peter, I think we pick on Peter too much. Peter was doing the best he could with what he had. And here's what he had. The Jewish scholars, the Talmud and the rabbinic scholars, had said that to be a good Jew, you need to be able to forgive a person three times. You do it once, forgiven, twice forgiven, Three times forgiven, four times, lay down the hammer. So what did Peter do? He did double plus one. He thought, okay, Jesus says, 
Seven. We'll do double plus one. He thought he was being generous. I will go far above the law that the, the Jewish scholars say I should forgive. And what does Jesus say? Seventy times seven. Hear this. 490 times of leaving the seat up or not putting the cap on the toothpaste or not emptying the dishwasher, that will build up. Just nod with me like this. That will build up and it will become a debt that you can never repay. What does Jesus answer? Forgiveness isn't something that we learn from each other. It's something that we learn from God. It's immeasurable, it's impossible, and it's implicit. We, as believers, have to be forgiving people. D.L. Moody said this, The one sin that is keeping revival from coming to the church, more lost people being saved, and more of the blessings of God from coming upon his people, is the sin of an unforgiving spirit. See, when that debt is accumulated, we carry it around. And sometimes we show it to other people. Look at this debt I have to carry around. Can you believe I put up with this? And Jesus says, that debt is going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you spiritually. It's going to hurt you emotionally. It's going to hurt you physically. physically. Thank you, Don. Dr. Archibald Hart says, forgiveness is giving up. I want you to hear this. And if you're taking notes, this is probably the quote of the day. Giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. It's not like the old Irish proverb. I don't know if you've heard this one. May those who love us love us. And those who don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we'll know them by their limping. That's not the forgiveness we're looking for. It's like my favorite kindergarten joke. This, this is guaranteed to slay the five-year-olds in the room. Why can't you give Elsa a balloon? She will let it go. For us, you can, you can let the resentment, hurt, righteous indignation fester in your heart and ruin your relationships, your experiences, your mental, spiritual, physical health, or you can be like Elsa and let it go. Norman Vincent Peale tells this story. There was a lady that came to hear him preach one Sunday who was relatively long, young, well-dressed and attractive. After the service, he, she came over to him and said, I want to share a problem I have with you. I have an itch that will not go away, and the itch gets worse whenever I go to church. Today, the itch was unbearable as I was listening to you preach. She said, furthermore, I constantly have a low-grade fever. Dr. Peel said, well, I've had a lot of reactions to my messages, but I don't believe I've ever made anyone itch. Well, the lady didn't even laugh. She said, I'm very serious. I've gone to doctor after doctor, and no one can tell me what's wrong. And I was hoping you could help me. Dr. Peel said he thought immediately that perhaps her itching 
did not have any physical cause, but a mental or perhaps a spiritual cause. Dr. Peel, with her permission, called her doctor. And the doctor told Dr. Peel that in his opinion, there was nothing physically or organically wrong with this patient, but that there was some kind of neuroses or obsession that he described as a kind of intermental eczema, a scratching on the inside of her mind that was really coming out on her skin. Dr. Peel said, do you know of any other problems she might be having? The doctor said, well, I do know that she and her only sister have been on the outs for a long time, and it may be part of the problem. Dr. Peel called the woman in and asked her about her relationship with her sister. The story she told was not complex, but years before, she and her sister had a bitter disagreement over the disposition of the proceeds from her father's estate. The lady swore after the argument that she would never speak to her sister again. Dr. Peel said, Do you love Jesus? She said, Yes. He said, Did Jesus ever hate anybody? She said, No. He said, Then do you believe with his help you can overcome your hate? Yes, Dr. Peel, I know that with Jesus' help I can overcome my hate. He said, then you do right now what I'm going to tell you. You can tell God that you're sorry for this sin and you ask him to take the hate away. She did that. And then he said, I lost my spot. Now you go tell God that you love your sister and that you forgive her if she wronged you. Dr. Peel, she said, she didn't wrong me. It was all built up in my mind. She's the sweetest person on earth, and I've been such a fool. Dr. Peel said, well, now you tell Jesus. With your help, I can let my hate go, and I affirm my love for my sister. Lord, forgive me. She did that, and Dr. Peel said, you're going to love this. What's your sister's telephone number? She gave it to him, and he dialed the number, and he gave her the phone. And she said, I, I can't talk to her. Dr. Peel said, you're going to talk to her. The sister hesitated for a moment and then just simply said, Sister, I love you. Would you please forgive me? And they both began to weep and a relationship was mended. Dr. Peel said when she hung up the phone for the first time in years, the itching was gone, the fever was gone, and what doctors, medicine, psychiatry, and pills could not do Forgiveness could. An unforgiving spirit is the mark of an unforgiven spirit. I want you to hear that. An unforgiving spirit is the mark of an unforgiven spirit, which is therefore the mark of an unforgivable spirit. Jesus told us, So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you, if from his heart he does not forgive his brother, his trespasses. You can be theologically straight and morally upright, but if you do not have a forgiving spirit, you are spiritually bankrupt. Today, some of you are sick at heart. You're reserving the right to hurt somebody who hurt you. Perhaps you want the t-shirt from Star Trek that says, Revenge is a dish best served cold. That's not the way the Christian life works. 
The only cure for that hurt is this. You need to forgive like God forgives you. Impossible, immeasurable, and implicit. If you've never known the forgiveness of God through the sacrifice of Jesus for you, then after the service, find one of our deacons, our pastors, our board members, and they would love to pray with you. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, perhaps it's because you have an unforgiving heart like the woman with the itch. Let it go. Like the balloon. Let it go. Ask God to teach you to be a forgiving person. And here's the hard one. Perhaps you need the forgiveness of someone else. You've wronged someone. In AA, step nine says, I'm going to make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. You might need to make amends and ask someone for their forgiveness. That's a daunting task. And if if that's what's confronting you today, again, find one of our deacons, our pastors, and we would love to pray with you. Amen.